repeating that great passage from Acts chapter 2. We'll look at the first part of the chapter now and then continue later on. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 through verse 24, the events of the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. May God, through the power of this same Spirit, speak to our hearts through this portion of his word. Beginning at verse 25, continuing with Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can confidently tell you that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with sincere and glad hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And again, may God bless this portion of his word to our understanding and our obedience. Our brother Anthony. I have a note to remember to pray for Ann McKay, and I'm very happy that someone sent that note here. Mrs. Adger McKay is a wonderful member of our community. Her husband was a very fine Bible teacher who went to be with the Lord just a few years ago. I visited Ann on Friday afternoon. Tomorrow morning, she is to have a heart catheterization at Memorial Hospital in Charlotte. And uh, I hope that you will be praying uh, with me for her just now. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for Edger McKay's family, and we thank you for Anne. 
We seek your special blessings on little Adger and Mary and Elizabeth, and we pray that you will be with Anne as she faces the catheterization tomorrow and ask that she may get a good report from this. Some of us who have been through this experience know how frightening it can be and how blessed it is to have the assurance of others who pray for us and to know that our lives are in your gracious and loving hands. We pray for Anne's full and complete recovery. We pray, Father, that you will also uh, bless other members of our community. Be with George Bergen as he recovers from surgery. Be with others who may not be known uh, to me just now, but to uh, someone else in this congregation, and bless them. And now, Father, bless us as we look into your word and seek an understanding of its truth that we may apply it to our daily walk in life and also receive these offerings and gifts which we bring, superintend their use, and grant that they may bring glory to the name of our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Dr. Nelson Bell, who was a wonderful member of the Montreat Presbyterian Church, and I suppose the only one of our elders ever to get elected moderator, but that's pretty good for a little church this size. Dr. Bell used to say that an ounce of taffy was worth a pound of epitaffy. <laughs> he was quite a wit. Dr. Bell, uh, uh, 11 years ago on Pentecost Sunday, was addressing the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in the United States in Fort Worth, Texas. It was, as I said, Pentecost Sunday, and Dr. Bell made a very great address. I have a part of that which I think is a good lead-in for a sermon on Pentecost today. On the birthday of the church, the anniversary celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit and the creation of the church, Dr. Bell, with great unction, quoted the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And in these last days, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Here we have sons and daughters of our church, precious young people who know and love the Lord, and some of us qualify as being old. I am told that I am the oldest man ever to have served as moderator, and I have a dream, an old man's dream of a transformed and revitalized church, a church which will mo once more emphasize those things of eternal importance which were central at the first Pentecost. We have just had read in our hearing the message that tells us of the sermon preached at that first Pentecost. As we sought to refresh our memories last Sunday, we remember that the Advent Christmas tells us of the incarnation of the Son of God. God takes on a body in the form of Jesus of Nazareth, who is his Son, the Messiah. On the day of Pentecost, the body of the church will be created. There is Good Friday, which represents to us the great sacrifice, the atonement made for our sins, and without which there is no atonement for sin. There is Easter, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead, in great power and glory, 
without which our faith is meaningless and with which our faith means everything. There is the ascension into heaven where he reigns at God's right hand, ever living to intercede for us and where we may think of loved ones dear and precious to us as we have recalled many of them just now who are gone into his presence forever. And then comes the day of Pentecost, after the ascension. In ten more days, Pentecost comes. Pentecost means 50, the festival of weeks. Fifty days after the Passover. On this day, the ancient Jews remembered the giving of the law of God. They also remembered the offering up of the first fruits of harvest. They harvested their wheat, and uh, they had the wave offering of the wheat, thanking God that he had blessed them with this. But this day, Pentecost, means that God will bring to us something special. He brings to us something that's different from that time that they had spent wandering, staying in booths and tabernacles that they had made in the wilderness. But now he gives us the, the coming of the Holy Spirit to create his law within our hearts and to bring power to us. We had a demonstration of the meaning of the power of power here this morning. A poor squirrel got in a transformer and blew everything out up on this end of the, uh, the um, uh, Montreat. And so when we got here today, we had to busily work around and get batteries together to try to uh, record the service for the radio and to try to figure out how we would operate without power. Uh, someone has said, and you've heard it before, but it's worth repeating, that it's a pity that in many churches, if the power of the Holy Spirit were withdrawn, the church could go on working. Now that's bad, because what we do, we ought to be doing in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's remarkable what the early church accomplished without a mimeograph machine, without radio, without television. The Holy Spirit came. And in our closing hymn today, we'll sing about his coming in great power on young men and women, firing them up with the word and the power of God to go in the places that they go, taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When that day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there comes a, uh, from heaven a noise, and notice this light a rushing mighty wind. Doesn't say that it is a rushing mighty wind like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. This evidently means that they were 120 perhaps, maybe in the same upper room where Jesus had been, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. There appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Uh, here is something that they hear with their ears. Here is something they see with their eyes, the wind and the fire. This week, we had relatives who visited us from West Texas. 
which is burnt and blasted. And the county from which they come is declared a disaster county because of a lack of rain. I can remember plowing for years in West Texas, knowing something of the energy of the wind and how much it means. Those windmills that you see grinding there are pulling water up out of the ground so that the thirsty cattle can drink. We need that wind. Without that wind, everything would become stultified and stale. Think of what the oceans would be like without wind to refresh them. The wind comes, and the wind of the Spirit of God comes in its strong driving power to refresh us and to bring us uh, the law that will be written in our hearts and to open our hearts to the truth of God. And then the symbolism of fire. I had printed in the bulletin a little thing for you to keep from John Henry Jowett of England, who reminds us that when the great uh, plague had uh, come to the city of London, and it had been decimated by that terrible black plague, that then the fire came, the great fire of London. And what they could not do by other means, the fire did in burning out the rat-infested places, and the fire had a cleansing power. And so the wind and the fire of the Spirit are still needed by us today, and we need that work now. This is what Dr. Bell was praying for, the preaching, the preaching like they were preaching here, like Peter preaches at Pentecost. Now we're given a sort of a national geographic survey of the world at that particular time. People had come to Jerusalem for this feast of Pentecost, and it was a feast, not a fast. It was a feast, and they were happy and celebrating and thankful to God for his great gifts to them. And there were Jews in Jerusalem and devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. At Babel, the Tower of Babel, men had tried to build a tower to God. And he was confused. And a confusion of language came. But here, the Spirit of God comes down, and the Spirit of God accomplishes communication and brings an understanding here. Each hearing the other speak in his own language. This is a great gift of communication. And they were amazed and marveled and said, why are not all these uh, speaking Galileans? They're all Galileans. And by the way, Galileans were people with a very hick accent. I take great comfort in that. Uh, there are people who, one of my kids uh, called home from up north in school and was very sad one night because the professor had mimicked his accent. And I said, don't worry about that. If he had Henry Kissinger's accent, he wouldn't, <laughs> his thing was very smart. Uh, don't let anybody put you down over where you come from. Your accent is a part of your locale and your being. Be proud of your accent. Be thankful for it. Uh, they were amazed and they marveled why are not all these speaking Galileans and yet each of them, yet we hear each of them in our own language to which we were born. Here is a gift of communication. Parthians, 
you know what Parthians were? They were in the Ayatollah Khomeini's country. That's Iran. Medes. That's another little part of Iran. Now you've got the news right here. We've got the Gulf of Aqaba uh, in the news a lot today. Here are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus. Then you get to Asia. By the way, that's not China. Asia was not classified that way by the Romans. Phrygia, Pamphylia, and Egypt, the districts uh, of, Lib of Libya, that's in the news. Around Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Rome was 1,400 miles away. Both Jews and proselytes, that is, uh, Jews and people who were converted to Judaism. We hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty acts of God. The remembering that the Old Testament is a catalog of what God has done for his people. And so they continued in amazement and great perplexity to one another. And they said, what does this mean? What does Pentecost mean? But others were mocking and saying they are full of new wine, they're drunk. And Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my word, for these men are not drunk. I'm very glad that this is here. You know what that means? Peter started the sermon with a joke. <laughs> That's right. Now, if you don't believe it, you watch. He said, these men are not drunk. He said, it's just 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, he caught the situation, and he puts a little humor to it here to wake them up to the fact of what God is doing. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the Old Testament, there had come a devastating plague of locusts, and God had predicted uh, that the people would be liberated, and that one day his spirit would be poured out upon all flesh, and it shall be in the last day. People come all the time saying, when do you believe the last days will come? They already started. They started right here. Right here. In the last days, the Holy Spirit came right here at Pentecost. And from that day, the birthday of the church, God says, I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, and columns of smoke, vapors of smoke. And the moon shall be turned into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. There are things that happen then and there are things that are yet to come. And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The early church was issue-oriented. The issue was whether you went to hell or whether you went to heaven. And that's something we ought to remember. Because I think I would rather uh, not be the most integrated best 
fitted person with all the rights that there could be in hell. I believe I would put the emphasis where the New Testament puts it, which is on salvation. And salvation is what's spoken of here. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. He says, you are the men. Now, this is the Peter who quailed and said he didn't know what a servant maid was talking about when she said, you were also with that Galilean. Peter said, huh, what did you say? He tried to avoid it. And then when someone else said, why, you're a Galilean, you got that kind of accent. Peter said, I don't know anything about him. Then when someone else said, why, you were with him, you were out there, then he cursed and he swore, I don't know anything about him. He even said, may I be damned if I know him. That's how violent he could be. Well, that Peter, who was so afraid then, has now been visited with the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the presence of many of those same people, he testifies, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God has raised him up, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for death to keep him in its power. Study the speeches in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is full of long speeches. And if you think they're long here, it says, with many other words, he exhorted them. This may seem like a long chapter to you, but he, he may have preached for a couple of hours. He was telling them the things of God, and they were listening because the Holy Spirit was mightily there. And he cites Old Testament scripture. He cited Joel. He cites David. And then he goes on to reason with them. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. He preached to them Jesus. I cut out of my scrapbook a, a thing that came from the New Yorker magazine. You know what it was about? What do your churches preach about? Do they preach about Jesus enough? Alec McEwen wanted to do something really remarkable. Uh, all these great actors, when they want to um, really prove that they're powerful, like to do one person. They want to do Mark Twain or Harry Truman or someone like that, and they just come on the stage and they may have only one chair or not even a chair, and then they speak for two, two and a half hours. Well, McEwen decided that no one had ever done the life of Jesus, so you know what he did? He memorized verbatim in the King James Version, the Gospel according to St. Mark. 
and he has given it with tremendous success. It's been moving even to him. When someone asked him if he were a Christian, he said, I don't think so, but I would be flattered if someone thought I was. And then he went ahead to say, but I'll tell you one thing. I believe that everything that Mark said happened and is true. I wish preachers would learn something from him. He believed. Now Peter preached Jesus Christ. He preached Jesus Christ crucified, buried, resurrected from the dead, and coming again. And as a result of the sermon, they didn't go away saying, did you mark his literary allusions? Did you notice how abreast of the times he is? He's right on top of all of the issues of our day. No, it doesn't say that. It says they were cut in their hearts. The Holy Spirit cut them in their hearts. Do you know why Jesus died on the cross? He died for you on the cross. It was for you. He died on the cross. And you won't be saved until you know that he died for you. And it's personal. And he is your Savior. Your sins nailed him there. My sins nailed him there. And when I see him hanging on that tree and know that he died for me, then I am willing to give my life and my all to him. Not for a little while on Sunday morning. Not when I feel religious. Not when I'm scared and need some extra help. But that he is Lord of my life. That's why this early church moved. So they cry out to Peter. They were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? There were results to that sermon that day at Pentecost. And Peter said, read our magazine, subscribe to our particular thing. No, repent. That means your mindset has got to be changed. The lifestyle of the world is not your style. Repent means a changed mind and heart, reoriented and under the lordship of Christ. Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your mistakes, your maladjustment, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's why he died on the cross. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He will come into your life to enable you to live more and more unto Christ and to die more and more unto sin. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off and for as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. The Lord calls to himself. Someplace in my notes this morning I had to illustrate the ministry of the Holy Spirit because soon I noticed some program is coming on about Ann Sullivan, the, the teacher of um, Helen Keller. 
Poor Helen Keller, who was born into a world that was dark, in a world where she could not see, she could not hear, and who was like a wild animal, as a little infant. And Ann Sullivan came and touched her and was able to communicate to her and to see her transform. And when Ann Sullivan died, she died before Helen Keller died. And uh, it, she wrote a very moving statement uh, about her that I think illustrates very well what we talk about and what we think about when we come to think of the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget in reading this the, the first time that they were able to communicate. Those of you who have either seen the film or read the book or know about Helen Keller know that when Helen Keller's father had hired Ann Sullivan to come there and teach that it was a cold March day and Miss Sullivan had taken Helen Keller with her out to a pump. And while they were pumping some water, this little blind, deaf, difficult to manage, animal-like child had some cold water that splashed onto her hand and she jerked her hand back. And Ann Sullivan grabbed her hand and put it to her lips and said, water, water. And then Helen Keller muttered like a ghost the words, wah. She was, she was able to get something. She was able to get something through touch here. She was able to speak because she could feel the lips. Well, when Ann Sullivan died, Helen Keller said this about her teacher. All the best of me belongs to her. There is not a talent or an inspiration or a joy in me that has not been awakened by her loving touch. Now that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and awakens us, our hearts to be responsive to the Lord. And then if you take this on further, and I hope you will, you'll read in the book of Galatians about the wonderful fruits of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, by their fruit ye shall know them. You'll learn about the love and joy and peace and gentleness and self-control that come to the heart. The Holy Spirit comes to awaken these within us. I'm so thankful to God for the witness that this church has through remarkable people like Joel out in the Cameroon and like Jake and Sarah willing to take those three precious little daughters of theirs, Johanna and Mia and little Gabrielle and go to Bolivia to tell people the story of Jesus because they know that the most important thing in the world is for people to be reconciled to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you'll forgive me if I share with you a part of a letter that we got 
just yesterday from one of our sons who's doing a little work in, on the borders between uh, Kenya and Uganda at a place a thousand feet higher than Mount Mitchell. And in this he, he tells us, I was able to go to Eldoret and get a driver's license so that I can go to some of the outlying clinics and dispensaries. Some of the roads around here make the old toll road look like I-40. <laughs> Yesterday I, I went with Dr. Carson and one of the United Kingdom medical students here to set a couple of broken arms. Dr. Carson simply gave the patients injections of some drug I can't say the name of, and they were in a trance within seconds. Then one poor fellow's fracture was so hard to reduce that it took all of us, all three of us, pulling and pushing in different directions to set it right. I also stopped in the pediatric ward with the med student on the way back, and I saw this one poor girl who was crippled with polio from the waist down. She had been in the hospital for months because her parents had abandoned her. And, a, and another young boy faced in a similar situation. He had been in the hospital for bad burns on his hands. It's so easy to just pass by these people without showing the real Christian compassion as Jesus would. They look different. Their culture is less sophisticated. Their standard of living is so poor and low. So many, it seems, have trouble looking past these barriers to the real feelings these people have. And most importantly, their souls. It is my prayer, no matter how idealistic it may sound, that when I look into the faces of these black people here, I will see real hurts, real feelings, and realize that Jesus died for them just as much as he died for me. These are some of the young people that are being touched by the Spirit of God. Oh, the devil's always luring young people away, but God's Spirit is luring people too. You know in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul speaks about the 500 who saw Jesus at one time raised from the dead, some old scholar figured out that most of those 500, some of which remain to this day, must have been pretty young people because so much time had elapsed by the time Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15 to have been a witness to the resurrection. And so that means there's hope there. But young people are interested in the real gospel, the real gospel that Dr. Bell had spoken about here, which speaks to the minds and hearts of these people and which offers salvation salvation to those who will take the pardon that God extends through Jesus Christ. Oh, John Gerstner is speaking over at Bon Clarkin this afternoon, and if you want to hear a preacher, you go hear him. He's a historian. 
And John Gerstner, American historian that he is, tells the story of a man, a man who had committed a horrible crime for which he was to be hanged. And John Marshall, who was the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, was asked to rule on whether or not this man had to accept a pardon for it to be effective. Because the man whose name was George Wilson had been issued a pardon, but he refused to accept the pardon, and it was appealed all the way to the High Court. And John Marshall ruled that a, that a pardon to be valid had to be accepted. The gospel of Jesus Christ has to be accepted. God has extended to us salvation, but it has to be accepted. Have you accepted Jesus Christ? Do you really believe that it makes a difference in the world whether people know him as Savior and Lord and whether we live for him day by day or not? The Holy Spirit came to teach us these things. Bow in prayer. Thou Spirit of the living God, fill the world with thy inspired witness to the Savior of the world. Fire the flame of faith in our hearts that we may bear thy word and learn to keep it. Believe in Christ and learn to follow him. And look for the rest promised to the people of God and finally come to eternal life by the merits of Christ our Lord. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our teacher and guide be and abide with us all now and forevermore.